It's episode 284 of Crack the Customer Code. But who's really counting? Oh yeah, we are. Hey Jeannie, it's Adam. And otherwise <laughs> otherwise known to you as ticket number 79427813. Oh, that ticket was closed a while ago. So do you have another ticket number? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't feel it's been resolved properly. That was our initial transaction. And, you know, I resolved it on yeah, this you, end. you clicked resolved, right? <laughs> I did. So it's it's out of my system now. So, so, so you got sorry, your... <laughs> let me let me transfer you to somebody who can help you. You got your monthly bonus, right? You... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your, your resolution rate was over 90%. Congratulations, Jeannie. <laughs> oh, let's open up another ticket so I can resolve that one too. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like a, a mob thing or something when you say you're going to punch somebody's ticket? And I mean, like a hit. Oh. I don't know, but I learn something new every day. Maybe it is. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so let's get to the point, <laughs> shall we? I don't know. <laughs> so we have Nick Francis, who is CEO and co-founder of Help Scout on the podcast today. And this was a really interesting dive into the really the nitty gritty of customer support and some of the yeah, the things that you should do strategically to be better at customer support and leading customer support teams and some interesting, excuse me, interesting research around, uh, you know, what that industry looks like right now, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I really liked this conversation because I, I like how Nick, when he even thought about creating this product in this company, really looked at what's not available today and what's not available uh, that will make the customer experience better through these help desks instead of just that experience that you and I just <laughs> shared, which is <laughs> yes. it tends to be, you know, sterile and not very connected to the customer. So he wanted to address that, which is pretty cool. All right, Jeannie, I think it's time for you to start a new ticket and tell us about Nick. <laughs> Here we go. Ticket number 1718-145. <laughs> I don't like the easy to ones. remember <laughs> easy to remember no. no today we are lucky to have Nick Francis with us Nick Francis is co-founder and CEO of Help Scout where he is on a mission to make every customer service interaction a more human one here here his two passions technology and entrepreneurship led him to start a web consultancy soon after college. For several years, he learned how to craft user experiences with his partners, Denny Swindle and Jared McDaniel. In 2010, the trio founded Help Scout and left their hometown of Nashville to join the Techstars Accelerator Program in Boston. That program, along with the Boston startup ecosystem, helped transform Help Scout into something real, a successful remote company now serving more than 8,000 customer support teams around the globe. Nick lives and breathes product design, customer experience, and building a thoughtful, thriving company. He feels lucky to wake up every day and work alongside people who challenge him to grow and do great work. Well, Nick, we are thrilled to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be with you. Hey, Nick, yeah, so glad to have you. A longtime fan of your company, Help Scout. And I want to jump right in here because Help Scout seems to brand itself as a more human and personalized help desk software platform. So why did you think of this as like a need in the first place to have this sort of positioning and approach? Well, you know, uh, the way we think about 
customer's experience is that it's table stakes for most businesses, um, especially for small businesses. It's the most effective way to differentiate from competitors. And as a small business owner myself, uh, several years ago, I, evaluating all sorts of different products that were in the market for customer support, I felt like moving from email to a quote unquote help desk was actually a, a big uh a deterioration of the customer experience. Now, now they had to go through a customer portal. They were assigned a ticket number, and the whole process just felt really kind of robotic. And I always saw customer support as a way to differentiate myself uh, and provide a really great experience for people. And when I l- looked at the landscape, we just didn't really see uh, any products that were sort of optimized for the customer experience first and then made it so that you could scale your operations on the customer service side, put all that kind of behind the scenes. So uh, most of the products that were out there six and a half years ago when we founded the company just felt uh, not human enough, a little bit uh, more optimized for maybe an enterprise use case, whereas I wanted to build something that was really targeted for small and mid-sized businesses. I love that because you're right. When, you know, when, help the whole help desk concept kind of was rolling out it was very robotic to the point where even to this day we still sometimes are referred to as ticket numbers and things like that and so i love that you had that lens when you started it and i know that some people are listening to this and there's and some of the things that we hear over and over is that customer support leaders um they find it really challenging to hire the right people for those providing customer support and customer service. So I'm curious, just based on the depth of your knowledge and how long you've been doing this and so connected to those individuals, what do you think is so challenging about hiring and what do you recommend for those hiring customer support professionals? Sure. So there's a lot to talk about here, but uh, (laughs) our customer support uh, team lead, Abigail, who's absolutely fantastic, she she has this quote that, that I requote a lot, which is the best way to test the company's values is to email their support team. Mm. And I, I bring up that quote to, to, to emphasize the fact that it really starts at the top. Um, hiring a great support team really starts with your company's values uh, and your company's ability to invest in that great customer experience. I mean, the best customer service professionals, what kind of company do you think they want to work for? Mm-hmm. They want to work for a company that that has that shares the same values they do and really wants to provide the customer with the best possible experience. And so if you build a uh, culture on the right values, on customer centric values, then I actually think it's not that difficult to find people that share those values and are excited to come work for you every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it really does kind of start there. Now, I'll also say that um, it's there. There's a lot of tactical stuff that you can do as well. Uh, we've just recently launched a resource called Help You on the Help Scout website, and we have a playlist all about growing your support team. Uh, so if it's possible to link to that in the notes or something, uh, we've got sure. some really great kind of step-by-step guides and all sorts of tactics in terms of writing a great job description, interview questions measuring uh, performance over time. We've got some really tactical stuff that you can dig into as well. That's really cool. And I think it's something that's often overlooked is that the culture and the training and everything 
that that's what builds the people. <laughs> and so you can't just say like, oh, we hired the wrong people because it's really about connecting all of those dots together. Yeah, it's. I always preface, you know, whenever people are asking for like, how do I hire good support people or how do I measure good support? It always has to start at a much higher kind of strategic and values level. Uh, so I try to always preface with that information. You know, and that's interesting because when you look at customer support and teams that are dedicated to support, you, know, you, you start with the hiring and the culture, but the, the way that often those things are killed is by the metrics that are used to measure success. You know, the KPIs and metrics, particularly in call center work, but you know, in any type of support team are often disincentives or incentivize the wrong thing or put undue pressure. So I want to hear a little bit about your philosophy around KPIs and metrics and, you know, the ones you use or just how you think about that when it comes to not only improving the customer experience, but improving the employee experience. Yeah, that's a great question, Adam, because most organizations are, are, you know, really good organizations are data driven, right? And for good reason, uh, you want to be data driven about your business. And, and our business is no exception. Pretty much every team has a couple of metrics that they pay really close attention to and they take ownership of. However, when you look at support, I hate to say this, but it's just more complicated than one or two metrics. It is. Uh, there's a lot of qualitative aspects of the customer support experience that should factor in. Uh, but even when you look at uh, KPIs globally, it's like you can't really just optimize for, like whenever we look at uh, an area of the business we want to be data-driven about, we always try to have a quality metric and a quality metric. Uh, so the quantity metric did I say quality twice? It's quantity and quality. <laughs> I thought, wow, he's really underlining that point. <laughs> yeah, no, a quantity metric and a quality metric. So, uh, for example, a quantity metric could be unique visitors to your website. The quality metric would be number of people that you've got to convert, given whatever your conversion goal is. So mm -hmm. uh, you always want to balance those out because you because any one metric can be hacked uh, to 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 hit the, the target, but also uh, not really incentivize the right things. Uh, so on the customer support time we, side, we try to look at, for a quality and quantity metric, but you can't really find them. You could say maybe the quantity metric is, uh, you know, it's not really support volume. It's not really response time. Like it just doesn't really fit the, the typical mold uh, for how we try to look at, at data-driven things. And so uh, high level, we pay attention to response time. We pay attention to, to happiness ratings uh, on a global level, not only just our support team, but like just as we, we measure the effectiveness of the business using NPS. Um, but it, it really is a more uh, qualitative thing when you're looking at an individual and how they're doing. We've tried to structure the Help Scout report so that you can get that picture and be able to give them feedback within five or 10 minutes of looking at their report. But still, it's just never any one metric. I mean, there may be one thing that you want to improve on as a team, and you can try to optimize that for that for the next month or so. But then the next month, it may, it may be a different metric. So uh, we really, I know this isn't super helpful, but we really try not to uh, say this metric and this metric, those are the most important ones. Uh, those are keys to to providing a great customer experience. Unfortunately, it's just not that simple 
Uh, and not to plug help you again, but I'm going to do it because we have a, <laughs> another playlist all about benchmarking your support metrics uh, mm-hmm. that I'd be happy to to share with everybody. So there's some really good stuff there as well. No, you, you know, I was going to just say the what you shared is more important, which is the philosophy behind how you approach metrics, because metrics are going to be different for every organization. And it's how people approach the you know, using metrics. That's really, I think, where organizations tend to fail and disincentivize and things like that. So that was super helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, anybody- one thing we try to look, sorry to interrupt, but like <laughs> one thing we just try to look at is what's changed month over month. You know, like we, we've got these 10 or 15 different support metrics we look at, like what's changed and why? And it, does that make us happy or not? Uh, so it's just a, it's kind of a bigger picture look at, at more than just a couple of metrics for sure. And listeners to this podcast will know that Adam and I have spent many an episode <laughs> railing against the one metric solution. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> you are you are preaching to the choir here because we really do be, you know believe in exactly what you're talking about because we've seen it and it can make such a difference if you're really thoughtful about what you track instead of just kind of the knee-jerk reaction of, well, everybody does this and that must be the one. Um, so that's super powerful stuff. And you yeah. mentioned you mentioned something I just want to follow up on because you mentioned some of the things that you do track and you mentioned the happiness score. And so I was wondering, how do you track that? What does that look like? Yeah, so happiness score is a, is specific to Help Scout. Uh, but if you turn on satisfaction ratings in uh, your company settings, then essentially at the bottom of every email and your signature are going to be three links. Uh, and you can customize the text and everything. But essentially, you have the ability to rate the support as great, okay, or bad. <laughs> and uh, it's a one-click rating, and then you can leave some feedback if you want. And so essentially, we have a calculation behind the scenes that comes up with a score, a happiness score, and that we report on that. So it's just one single number uh, that you can see kind of go up and down uh, based on the ratings that you're getting. And so we try to make that as simple as possible, make it one quantifiable number that you can try to increase over time. And uh, that for us, that that's called the happiness score. That's cool. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and one of the things you guys did recently was you – released your 2017 customer support salary study. And while there were many, many observations in there, one of the ones that surprised me was that support professionals who work remotely have the highest average salaries. And that kind of struck me because I don't think that's common knowledge. I don't think that's how people would think about it. So I'm just curious, why do you think that is? And um, what did that support salary study really tell you about kind of the state of affairs in the industry? Oh, and I have a refining question. Was that international or domestic? What was the, uh, uh, I'm, the survey group? I'm pretty sure that was, uh, I'm pretty sure that was international. Uh, we may have, we may have segmented it uh, by uh, different, different countries, but it, the survey itself was international. Uh, but I think there's a there's a few things at play here. And the first actually has nothing to do with customer support teams. It has more to do with remote culture and remote companies of which Help Scout is one. Uh, we, we have to hire a bit differently. So whereas a kind of in-office company can hire somebody that's more junior or entry level and kind of mentor them and get them to where they want them to be over the course of one to two years, we don't really have that luxury in remote. 
we have to hire people that are quite experienced and skilled in their craft on day one, and they have to be able to add value pretty quickly. And in order to work sort of autonomously, be able to be really productive in a remote environment, we've found, and it's it's been our experience in addition to many other remote companies, we found that we can't really hire at that kind of junior entry level. So the same applies to customer support. When we're hiring customer support folks, we're hiring people with five, 10 years experience in some cases. Uh, if not that, experience working in for several different uh, support teams uh, or for a long time for a single support team and doing a lot of work in this craft. And so that's one reason why the, the, the average salaries are a little higher is because remote com- companies just tend to hire people that are more experienced uh, and have been doing this a bit longer. It's also worth noting that Remote customer support jobs are frankly just more desirable. Uh, we found in our survey that 66% of remote people are happy where they are compared to 43% of people that go into an office. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, the research, it's kind of like um, there's always been research on open office floor plans. But despite all this research saying that open office floor plans are a really bad idea, you see all these innovative companies continuing to build offices with open floor plans. (laughs) I find that remote is sort of like that, too, because there's so much data that's like, oh, this is really compelling. Like I just saw a survey the other day that said remote employees are 13.5 percent more productive than people in the office. Hmm. uh, And that saves the company like $1,900 per month per employee in this particular survey. And the data continues to stack up, yet, uh, you know, some companies are just not going to come around to it. Mm -hmm. So in the end, when it comes to customer support professionals and the people that are really best at the craft, then they've got a lot more freedom and autonomy when they're in a remote environment. So they're going to be more likely to choose that environment. Therefore, the average salary is going to be a bit higher. Wow, that's really, really interesting because... You know, I my company is remote as well, and I was at an event recently where this woman was talking about how to be more productive, and I'm always kind of glomming onto that stuff, like, how can I do more? How can I do more? And her whole talk was about managing interruptions if you work in an office, and I was sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't have that problem. I don't have coworkers stopping by. I've got, if I don't want to be interrupted, I just you know, don't answer Skype (laughs) and go on with my work. Or if I need a little break, I walk the dog in the fresh air and come back and feel energized. And so it's just, it really struck me because I was like, her perception is so different than I think how many, many of us work today. And I was thinking like, if, if all of this happens in an office to disrupt productivity, why aren't more people doing what we're doing? And you're basically saying the data shows that too. So, so I think I, all of that is just to say I was right. Yeah, so that's, 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 I knew where this was going. I, I, I already knew where the, what the end of that statement was going to be. But, but I'll tell you this: you know, one of the best. I pretty much keep calling it the best book I read in 2016 was a book called Deep Work by Cal mm-hmm. Newport. I don't know if you've read that. Uh, Nick, but it's great. Yeah. 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 It's a fantastic. And it really does talk about, yeah, it's a little bit off, you know, to the side, but it really shows about, you know, the office, 
you know, the open office floor plans and the distractions and how really they are productivity killers. And, you know, maybe there are certain times when like in team settings where you need to innovate that there are some, you know, times where that is good. But overall, for most organizations, it's, it's not working. And I'm not surprised. I'll add this one last thing. I'm not surprised at all that people are happier at home because, you know, sitting in traffic for an hour and a half to two hours every day. Not, 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 it's not, it's not a big, uh, morale builder. So it's not desirable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I think there's just this big myth about collaboration. You know, the big, the big, um, thing that people talk about when it's in office versus remote is I want to be able to collaborate in person. You know, the big argument for open office floor plans is, oh, we want people to have spontaneous discussion and collaboration. The, The brand new Apple campus, uh, $2 billion campuses, a lot of it's open office and they're being criticized for that because of the obvious research. It's just so funny to me how people say or make this baseless claim that that you can't collaborate in a remote environment or that you can't collaborate, collaborate in a more closed office environment. It's just untrue and the data continues to stack up, but some people just feel that collaboration is so important and that there's no other way. It's really, really interesting to me. I think it's just some, you know, every few years we have a different management fad and I think this one just hasn't died yet. <laughs> so. Yeah, it could be. So. Uh, well, hey, this has been absolutely fantastic, Nick, and I just love what you're doing. I've always been a big fan of Help Scout, uh, you know, shared a lot of your content uh, and just, I'm just going to say as an editorial from myself, if uh, you want some of the best customer service and customer experience content out there, uh, make sure to check out the Help Scout site. But uh, go ahead and tell us where people can find you, connect with you, uh, learn more about Help Scout and some of the resources. And we'll, of course, put it all in the show notes. Sure. So I'm at Nick Francis on Twitter. And uh, you can always just feel free to email me to Nick at helpscout.com. Happy to, to hear any questions or feedback that you have. And, and then most importantly, we've got this amazing educational resource for customer support professionals. It's called Help You. It's completely free, uh, really incredible content. So Pretty much every question we covered today has a deep dive playlist with eight articles, six articles uh, that gets into the details and the nitty gritty, all completely free. So I'd highly recommend people just check out Help You. We've spent a lot of time on it. And uh, it's, a, it's a really outstanding resource for customer support pros. I can say that because uh, I wasn't really part of it. It was our great team. So very, very happy <laughs> awesome. about that. You sound like a, a proud dad, though, about it. So that's I'm cool. I'm super proud of it. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's really yeah. awesome. No, oh, congratulations on that. And thank you so much for being here and for keeping everything so human. That's, you know, we need more of that. So thank you for doing that. And thanks for being here today. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Nick. Take care. We could all use more human interaction. Can't we, Adam? I don't know, Jeannie. Sometimes I wonder. (laughs) You want more robots? You're just (laughs) waiting for the robots to take over. (laughs) Well, you know, I've found that the robots tend to not tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> not certainly not as much as you do. Just wait. <laughs> AI is coming, my friend. I know it is coming, <laughs> isn't it? Well, so well, Jeannie, do you know the difference between a quality metric and a quantity metric or a quantitative and a qualitative metric? Uh for the most part, I think I do. Okay, well then we're gonna start using these right. Are we using <laughs> them well here on our podcast? Uh I don't know. That's a really good question. I think I think there were a lot of questions posed in that conversation that people can take back and examine, 
hey, what are we missing here? What are we, what can we do better? And that's certainly one of them. So maybe, uh, maybe we have to ex- do some self-reflection here at Crack the Customer Code as well. I like, you know, I always enjoy when the guests, uh, yeah, they all, they always help us. We always learn from, them, but I, I always enjoy when there's like an actionable takeaway that we can actually apply to the podcast, not just to our customer experience businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it comes down to, uh, you know, creating a culture that really supports the people involved. And I think we've done that here. <laughs> and I can't say that without laughing. So <laughs> pat, pat yourself on the back, Janie. It was all, it was all you. <laughs> Well, we hope you got as much out of this as we did today, and we thank Nick for joining us. And as always, we are so appreciative that you decide to spend a little time with us on this podcast when you do. So thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. If you like C-Suite Radio, then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-suite leaders and entrepreneurs. It's all on demand. Get insider secrets by going to csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.